Now you talk about terror. Welcome to another podcast from the Chris Hedges Report. What about me? I'm Chris Hedges, and you can find more of my work at chrishedges.substack.com. Moby Dick by Herman Melville is America's greatest novel, the one book the writer William Faulkner said he wished he had written. It is the most prescient portrait of the American character and our ultimate fate as a nation and perhaps a species. Melville makes our murderous obsessions, our hubris, violent impulses, moral weakness, and inevitable self-destruction visible in his Chronicle of a Whaling Voyage. Melville's description of the ship's Captain Ahab is a description of the bankers, corporate boards, politicians, television personalities, and generals who, through the power of propaganda, fill our heads with seductive images of glory and lust for wealth and power. We are consumed with self-induced obsessions that spur us toward self-annihilation. Melville is our foremost oracle. He is to us what William Shakespeare was to Elizabethan England or Fyodor Dostoevsky to Tsarist Russia. America is given shape in the form of the ship, the Pequod, named after the Native American tribe exterminated in 1638 by the Puritans and their Native American allies. The ship's 30-man crew, there were 30 states in the Union, when Melville wrote the novel, is a mixture of races and creeds. The object of the hunt is a massive white whale, Moby Dick, which in a previous encounter maimed Ahab by biting off one of his legs. The self-destructive fury of the quest, much like a society that is unable to wrest itself from its addiction to fossil fuel, assures the Pequod's destruction. And those on the ship on some level know they are doomed just as many of us know we are doomed. We, like Ahab and his crew, rationalize madness, all calls for prudence, for halting the march towards environmental catastrophe, for sane limits on carbon emissions are ignored or ridiculed. Even with the flashing red lights before us, the increased droughts, rapid melting of glaciers and Arctic ice, monster tornadoes, vast hurricanes, crop failures, floods, raging wildfires and soaring temperatures, we, like Ahab, blinded by hubris, bow slavishly before the enticing illusion of a limitless power, superior intelligence, and physical prowess. We believe in the eternal wellspring of material progress. We are our own idols. Nothing will halt our voyage. It seems to us to have been decreed by natural law. The path to my fixed purpose is laid with iron rails, whereon my soul is grooved to run, Ahab declares. Joining me to discuss Melville's novel is Nathaniel Philbrick, author of Why Read Moby Dick, as well as books such as In the Heart of the Sea, The Tragedy of the Whaleboat Essex, Mayflower, Voyage, Community, War, Travels with George in Search of Washington, and his legacy, and The Last Stand, Custer, Sitting Bull, and The Battle of the Little Bighorn. Okay, so Nat, I want to begin with this quote from Ahab. Uh, He says, all visible objects, man, are but as pasteboard masks, but in each event, some unknown but still reasoning thing puts forth 
the moldings of its features from behind the unreasoning mask. If a man will strike, strike through the mask. To me, the white whale is outrageous strength with an inscrutable malice sinewing it. That inscrutable thing is chiefly what I hate. And be the white whale agent or be the white whale principal, I will wreck that hate upon him. Can you talk about that? Seems to me the core of the novel. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it speaks to uh, any uh, demented leaders uh, 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 being com- completely convinced that the that what is opposing him or her uh, is deeper is 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 inherently evil and is out there and how to get at it. Uh, Ahab has been attacked by a white whale. He decides that the the whale is. Um, represents all evil out there, and so he is, um, you know, and and so he, he the the real he sees something beyond the real world that um, uh, that you know there is God, but there is also something malevolent malevolent out there that Ahab is desperate uh, to to uh, revenge himself upon. And when he says whether it's you know whether it's actually the whale or something behind it. I'm going to do everything I can to uh, to attack it, and uh, you know it's it's paranoia, it's delusion, um, but it's it's brilliant in its own way. Uh, he, you know, this is not your ordinary uh, uh, whaling captain. Uh, this is someone who is uh, reaching for the, the 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 philosophical stratosphere as he flails around, uh, trying to revenge himself on a brute beast. I read a book called Shielding the Flame by Marek Edelman, who was one of the leaders of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Uh, and he chose that title. He became a doctor after the war uh, because he saw the deity as malevolent and that his role, both in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and as a doctor, was shielding the flame, protecting human life from that malevolent force. I wonder if that is where Melville was coming from. Yeah, I mean, what he's he you know he had read uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and uh, and what uh, uh, appealed to him about Hawthorne was the power of blackness, how uh, Hawthorne you know found uh, that unspeakable evil uh, that is out there that even to to talk about it is to risk going insane, and um, and and yeah, I think Melville would have uh, or and particularly Ahab, would have sympathized with that, that whatever is out there is, is out to get him and is inherently malevolent. Well, Melville told Hawthorne he wrote, I believe I have this right, an evil book, didn't he? Yes. And, and yet I feel as spotless as the lamb. And, um, and I think that's it in many ways uh, where, you know, and that's, that's the, 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 that's that's an author, uh, as an artist, working at his highest uh, state, where you can plunge into the most sordid, uh, mystical depths, and yet feel uh, insulated from it uh, through the power of your art. And uh, you know, Melville was just operating with all the cylinders firing, and inhabiting uh, uh, a sensibility that I think for most of us is is uninhabitable. To what extent did Melville uh, identify with Ahab? I, I think uh, Melville saw um, more than he would have liked 
uh, in Ahab. And I think any artist does. Um, you know, uh, and, and as Melville says elsewhere, all mortal greatness is but disease. Uh, you, you know, to have any kind of ambition, whether it's artistic, political, or personal, uh, is to, to, to challenge uh, uh, forces that are beyond your control, that are ultimately um, working uh, to serve you, but not necessarily to serve others, and can, that can be interpreted as evil. D.H. Lawrence uh, describes Moby Dick, and these are his words, a vision of a doomed white civilization. Uh, do you think that's a, a correct uh, kind of interpretation of the book? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's plenty of interpretations of the book, but Lawrence is one of our uh, uh, great interpreters of American literature. You know, being English, he had that, uh, that, um, that distance, and, and yet having, uh, you know, been to America, he, he experienced it. And, and I, I think, you know, Melville um, had felt that America was at, had reached a crossroads where, um, you know, it, we were turning in upon ourselves uh, in, in terms of the country, where we're, we're, uh, we're, we're headed west, uh, uh, conquering our way, uh, uh, destroying native cultures in this, this, this relentless quest to, to push our, our borders west. And, um, and he saw that as inherently evil. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, in another book, uh, the, the, uh, he, he talks about uh, the metaphysics of Indian hating, of, of, you know, how anything that's the other, we interpret it, uh, interpret as, as bad, despicable, and worthy of, of destruction. And, uh, and that's the great redemptive power of Moby Dick, where you have characters like uh, Queequeg. Uh, where Melville is insisting that is not the right way to go. And I think that really is a direct criticism of America in Moby Dick. And, uh, but he, he names these forces as deeply self-destructive. C.L.R. James's uh, comment on Moby Dick, he calls it the biography of the last days of Hitler. Uh, so I think what Melville is saying, certainly, and what Lawrence and C.L.R. James are echoing is that these forces ultimately destroy us. Absolutely. And, you know, that is the crux of Moby Dick. Here we are hell-bent uh, in this pursuit of a white whale uh, and uh, uh, knowing full well that it is not going to go well for anyone. And, uh, and you know, that's where we are today, uh, where, you know, we fossil fuels, uh, what we need to do to maintain the the... the level of civilization, and I have quotes around that, um, is, is destroying the underpinnings of the, the planet itself to sustain us. And so it's completely self-destructive. It's, you know, it's what the fur trappers went through, the fisheries are going through now, where uh, efficiencies uh, make it uh, so, so effective in, in, in uh, reaping these harvests that um, you ultimately uh, kill the goose. Well, there's this poignant moment in Moby Dick where Melville writes that at least the whales are safe under the Arctic ice. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Melville loved whales and, uh, and he, he, um, he, he wanted to have some hope uh, that they would outlive our destructive urge uh, to turn their 
uh, blubber into oil. And, um, you know, because, and, and, uh, we'll, you know, obviously we'll give him that, um, you know, what he could not have foreseen at that when he wrote Moby Dick is that the urges that uh, sent Nantucketers and all whalers remorselessly against sperm whales and other cetaceans would be redirected to petroleum and uh, that which would have its own adverse effects on the environment in a very fundamental way. And, and that's what makes this book so timeless, where you, um, you know, uh, Melville's talking about something from the 19th century that is spot on to where we are in the 21st, because human nature is human nature. We are lethal. We have been, <laughs> when the first hu- Homo sapiens uh, uh, began walking this planet, everywhere we went, uh, there was, a, uh, we wreaked havoc uh, on, on the species around us. And it's only inevitable that it one day will come back to get us. Edward Said, after the attacks of 9-11, brings up the Osama bin Laden uh, and the pursuit of, he likens the pursuit of Osama bin Laden to Ahab's pursuit of Moby Dick. Uh, This is him, an imperial power injured for the first time, pursuing its interests systematically in what has become suddenly a reconfigured geography of conflict. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting analogy from Said. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it, it sort of turned itself, you know, on its head, and particularly was against the grain of how people in America were feeling at that time. They wanted to kill the whale, um, like Ahab, you know, uh, snuff it out without any attempt to see it in a larger context. Uh, and, uh, 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 you know, so that I think that is a very provocative uh, uh, interpretation of of uh, post nine eleven and and Melville, and you know, and that is the power of Moby Dick. Uh, it is endlessly relevant uh, because uh, humans are humans, and as our technology changes, as we make our way into the future, uh, there are fundamental uh, uh, aspects of our behavior of who we are. Uh, that are hardwired into us in a way that uh, we may know what we're doing is insanely self-destructive, but we're just unable to contain ourselves. So the the Pequod is kind of uh, uh, a microcosm of uh, American civilization. And one of the things that's fascinating is that uh, Melville's keenly aware that the, the dirty work uh, of uh, – Western civilization, as on the clipper ships and the whalers, was done by the exploited. Uh, he has this quote, yes, all these brave houses and flowery gardens come from the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian oceans. This is Ishmael uh, talking about New England's prosperity. One and all, they were harpooned and dragged up hither from the bottom of the sea. And of course, the authority figures are white men, Ahab, Starbuck, Flask, Stubb, uh, but the dirty work from the harpooning, the gutting of the carcasses, that's the task of the poor and the task of uh, people of color. Um, I just wondered if you could talk about those class divisions on the ship. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Melville, there's a Native American, uh, uh, Tashtego, um, uh, uh, from Martha's Vineyard. Uh, there's Dagu, a, uh, an African and uh, there's the African-American cook who uh, evocatively 
at one point looks down at night while the the uh, sharks are feasting themselves on the 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 carcass of the whale uh, strapped to the side of the Pequod talks about you know the 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 terror really of the shark and you know what is that and and so um as melville will say elsewhere the work of our republic uh, you know our economic might is provided uh by either enslaved americans or or those that have been employed uh under very onerous terms i mean this is what um this is how the economic miracle works and um and the moby dick you you just see it in cross-section really of of um how uh you know america has all this land has all these resources but it, the real genius is in how it harness harnesses uh its workforce well and these sailors once they came back from these voyages that could last two to three years were just cast onto the street. Cities like New Bedford, uh, they were virtually homeless, penniless. They were just thrust aside. Yeah, and I mean, it was, it was it, you know, the irony, you know, here on Nantucket, uh, we, they were Quaker Nantucketites who were abolitionists uh, when it came to, to Southern slavery. But when it came to the whale fishery, I had no qualms about uh, enlisting a, uh, uh, a, a, a system of work that was as exploitative as anything happening down south. And in fact, when Nantucket's whale fishery was founded uh, back in the 17th century, uh, the, the, the early Nantucketers used the Native American population and ensnared them in a system of debt servitude. Uh, whereby they developed a, a Native American would uh, have a judgment against them in court, sent, be sentenced to several years in the whale fishery, and that those sentences were available for people to to basically bid on. And um, and so this is where the the Nantucketers had come from uh, when it when it it came to the increasing economic sophistication of whaling. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the, the as as Melville says in Moby Dick, they were Quakers with a vengeance. Well, the owners of the Pequod were Quakers. Yes, they they were, and you know, and there's that wonderful beginning of the book when uh, they're talking about the lay uh, that a uh, whaleman will make, and of course, you know, it's a fraction. So the well, larger you should, you should explain what a lay is. Yeah, a lay is uh, when. Uh, a, a, when you went on a voyage, a whaling voyage, uh, you signed up to get a certain percentage of the final take on the voyage, and uh, and it was a fraction of the voyage. and uh, And Quaker whale ship owners were uh, very good at convincing greenhorns from you know wherever that the higher number, which was on the you know on the bottom meant that you were going to get more when it was exactly the opposite. And, and so Ishmael talks about um, the lay he ends up getting, which is just miserable. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, which was typical. Yeah. It was, if you were not a Nantucketer, uh, it was an economic system designed uh, that by the end of the voyage, uh, the, the seamen made no money. And if anything owed uh, the, 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 the company store, so to speak, the, the slop chest money. And so what do you do? You get drunk and then get back on a whale ship. I want to talk about the first time Ahab appears on the quarterdeck. So he's in his cabin for the first few days of the voyage, and he holds up in front of the crew this doubloon, this gold coin, 
He promises it to the first crew member who sights Moby Dick, the white whale. He nails the doubloon to the mask. And Melville writes that Ahab knows that, quote, the permanent constitutional condition of the manufactured man is sordidness. And, of course, that's what Ahab does. Can you talk about that playing to that sordidness? Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's an absolutely uh, uh, lack of respect uh, for the, the, your fellow man <laughs> and to see it in, in, uh, you know, as something to be exploited, as something to be dismissed as less than human. Uh, you know, it's, it's, hey, it's capitalism uh, taken to the nth degree. And uh, it's 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 you know, it's there all over Moby Dick, where Ahab needs these crew members, um, but he um, and he's wonderfully uh, wonderful at whipping them up uh, in the equivalent of a political rally uh, on the from the quarter deck. But he sees them as instruments to his will. You know, he has no sense of their needs, uh, that you know what what they deserve in terms of uh, not just this voyage, but um, as human beings. Well, Starbuck calls all of this behavior blasphemous, and then there's this amazing scene. This is kind of dark mask, this uh, mass, this Eucharist of violence and blood. Uh, it, it is this almost fascist rally. Uh, can you talk about that moment? Because at that point, Starbuck, who realizes what's happening, becomes powerless. Right, and 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 in many ways, Starbuck is you know the moral uh, fulcrum um, on which the novel is based. And because Starbuck, uh, unlike even Ishmael, who admits to being caught up uh, in in the a- Ahab's uh, charismatic gra- gravitational force. Uh, Starbuck, uh, the first mate, uh, doesn't. And uh, when and and Starbuck uh, realizes exactly what's ahead, this guy is demented. He's what he wants to do is illegal. He is hijacking uh, this ship, uh, contrary to the what the owners manifest insists that he does for his own personal means, and um, and and what he is legally bound to do is to oppose that. Uh, but, and he, he flirts with that idea of take actually taking up arms against Ahab, but ultimately he is just not strong enough. And, uh, he, he allows it to happen. And I think, you know, how many of us have seen not only in our own experience, but in the past in history instances where, um, a demented leader is enabled by those that are just simply exhausted and ultimately terrified of what opposing this maniac will bring down upon them. Well, Ahab is quite conscious of this. Uh, In the book, he says that uh, Starbuck is helpless, uh, quote, amid the general hurricane. Starbuck now is mine, Ahab says. He cannot oppose me now without rebellion. And then Melville writes, the honest eye of Starbuck fell downright. Uh, This is a a, a fascinating moment for me because Starbuck was one of the most courageous uh, harpooner, the very dangerous task on a whaling ship. And it's this juxtaposition between physical and moral courage. Absolutely. Uh, And Starbuck is a good guy. 
<laughs> you know, he's a family man, but he's a warrior uh, when it comes to the whale fishery. Uh, he as, is as good as it gets. But Ahab takes the voyage in a direction that no Nantucket whaleman uh, has really uh, experienced, even though uh, it, you know, it's it's an it's it's a metaphor for life, where you know we're we're at we're under control of someone who is who is going to take us to places we don't want to go. The only uh, brave brave thing to do is to oppose him, but ultimately you just look at the options and say, nope, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll go with the rest. And uh, it's it's that grim fatality, um, and you know uh, it's 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 heartbreaking, really. Um, and you know there is that final moment in in w towards the end of Moby Dick uh, where where uh, Starbuck and Ahab, you know, Starbuck says, "Hey, come on, man! You know, there's 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 a green valley. You can go back to your own your 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 son back on Nantucket. I can go back to my wife and my family." And, uh, and Ahab is tempted, but ultimately, no. It isn't just rhetoric. Uh, it isn't just kind of fascistic ritual, but Ahab has his internal security force, uh, his, you know, Stalinist secret police, the five dusky phantoms that seemed fresh formed out of air. Uh, this is Ahab's secret because he hides them from the rest of the crew uh, private whalebrook crew. Uh, so, just talk about that—that that, that that art of propaganda, but also Ahab's understanding that he needs, in the end, uh, a force of coercion. Yeah, he needs a force of coercion. But what's really interesting in Moby Dick is towards the end when Ahab and Starbuck are talking, and you and Ahab is feeling that you know, do I really want to go? No, it's his security detail that says, "Oh no, you're you're in this," and it it you know is Ahab ultimately is as much a part. You know who is who is really calling the shots here? And I think uh, there's been many a dictator <laughs> who uh, uh, finds him or herself in that position where the the forces you've created to enable you uh, have their own momentum and own will. Uh, that ultimately not even you can oppose because you are dependent on them. Well, that's the theme of Orwell's essay, Shooting an Elephant. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't want to shoot the rampage. By the time he gets to the, he's a, he's, a, uh, raw, he's part of the British police force in, I think, Burma. And uh, by the time he gets to the rampaging elephant, it's already calmed down. But he has to shoot it because it's what the crowd expects of him. Uh, there's a very similar kind of, you're captive to that kind of, uh, those kinds of forces. I want to talk about the internal battle. Uh, so this is between Ahab's kind of hubris and his humanity. Um, he clearly has a yearning for love that makes him a fascinating, complex figure, which he expresses to the black cabin boy, Pip. Uh, and perhaps you can also flesh out a little bit about what happens to Pip. But talk about that, that moment. There's a moment yeah. of tenderness, really. Absolutely, and Pip is is quite kind is equivalent to Lear's fool, uh, you know, in Shakespeare's play, uh, and Pip is uh, you know the cabin boy, uh, no, you know, has uh, known to dance, and you know, is antic, and uh, everyone loves him, but it, uh, but it, he he 
is is terrified of uh, of when he when actually put on a whale, a whale boat uh, twice he jumps over the side of of the whale boat in terror at what's happening as I think any rational person would uh, and the first time they go back and rescue him but say you know not the next time and when and they don't and he stays out there on this vast sheet of water without any other vessel in sight and goes insane. Uh, his sensibility, is, uh, as Melville says, is dragged to the depths uh, where these great, uh, you know, sea insects crawl. He, you know, he sees the, the, the underpinnings of the universe and he comes up uh, mad. And yet uh, he's not Ahab mad. Uh, he is someone who is, you know, still immensely attractive and is the one soul upon on the Essex, uh, excuse me, on the Moby, on Moby Dick, that Ahab can, you know, find some emotional uh, connection with, because uh, Ahab has been dragged to the depths um, and is using that, you know, to, to get back as an act of revenge. And it's, you know, it has such a level of poignancy uh, to it and um, shows that Ahab, even though he is this creature, he has his humanities, uh, as, as is said of him, which makes it all the more poignant uh, uh, in terms of what will ultimately happen. Well, there's that line, I'm going to butcher it, something my object is saying, but my, uh, my motive is mad or something. He, uh, Ahab's fully aware of his own demented quality, even says to Pip, Lad, I tell thee, thou must not follow Ahab now. The hour is coming when Ahab would not scare thee from him, and yet would not have thee by him. Uh, there is that in thee, poor lad, which I feel to curing to my malady. Like cures like, and for this hunt, my malady becomes my most desired health. Yes, yes. Oh, oh. I mean, that's that's it. And um, and and with Pip. We see, um, we, 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 I mean, I think that it's, it's, it, with Pip, it's Melville and Ishmael's most eloquent expression of what a terrifying universe we are really in. Uh, whether it is evil, whether it is good, whether, whatever it is, um, it is beyond us and in control of us. And ultimately we are helpless uh, in our attempts to, to determine our own fate because there are things larger than us that are governing this. And so uh, with Ahab, you know, who has taken the opposite pole, uh, you know, he is trying to take control of his life while Pip has relinquished uh, that control and is, 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 you know, barely holding anything together. You see the, 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 the two sides of, of uh, uh, seeing too clearly into the, the terrifying reality of, of what life is all about. Well, Ahab is quite aware of the fact that he, he calls this remorseless emperor, commands me that against all natural lovings and longings, I keep pushing, crowding. He's aware in a way that he is possessed. Yeah, he's possessed, and yet he's possessed, and yet he has this ability to seem completely sane as he talks about. And, you know, that is the eerie gripping quality of of his of that insanity that uh, there's no 
real outward manifestation of it. If you're the owner talking to Ahab before he leaves or the crew members. Uh, uh, and yet once you realize where he is really coming from, you realize just, you know, it's an insane quest. He's going to punch through the pasteboard mask and get at the rea you know, tr truth of it. Um, you know, that just, that's not going to happen. And yet <laughs> there's a, there is a, a, a metaphysic, truth to that and and so that's the almost creepy na nature of Moby Dick in that uh, yeah he's insane and yet he really is seeing with a clarity into the essence of of life and uh, you know where does that put us uh, uh, ultimately uh, this is a very unsettling uh, portrait of of man uh, and and the universe I want to talk about the Rachel this is a ship it's it, it, it had sighted Moby Dick uh, they they uh, had given Moby Dick chase. Uh, the captain of the Rachel had uh, his son was on a whaleboat it that had been lost. He's desperately searching for his son, and he implores Ahab to help him. That moment reminds me of the school shootings, I think, and hmm. I, I don't know if it does to you as well, uh, because Ahab refuses. Ahab turns his back, even though Ahab, yeah. of course, is a father. Absolutely. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that resonant modern day resonance. But right, it is that look, I am it's this is a, the danger of dogma. <laughs> you know, if whether you say it's 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 my freedom, my personal freedom and nothing will interfere with that despite the fact that it's having all these horrible repercussions. Here is Ahab, he is on this quest. Nothing will divert him from it. Even this this plea of a fellow father to, to retrieve his own child, uh, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's when someone is willing to, to turn their back on, you know, what makes us human, uh, so that what they feel is more important really than anything, their own personal freedom. <laughs> and that just shows you how, how slalopsistic that is, how, how, uh, you know, lack of any kind of empathy for anyone out there. It's, it, you must stay true. You know, if I, if I must stay to the mission, no matter what it does to, to those around me. Great. That was Nathaniel Philbrick on Moby Dick. I want to thank the Real News Network and its production team, Cameron Granadino, Adam Coley, Dwayne Gladden, and Kayla Rivera. You can find me at chrishedges.substack.com. 